Welcome to another episode of the Disruptive Voices of the Pacific. My name is Letitia Shelton and we are coming to you from Suva, Fiji. This is a podcast that doesn't always make you feel nice. We're addressing taboo issues. We're bringing up uh, things in Fiji that probably we don't always want to talk about. Quite often when I think of Fiji, there's so much beauty and um, the people are beautiful and there's so much to celebrate. Unfortunately, there's a really dark side um, and there's many good people working in this space and I'm talking to one today. Her name is Linietta. Welcome. Welcome, Letitia. So you have spent, you're a retired police officer, but you spent 35 years in the police. 20 of those years you were in the um, Child Abuse and Sexual Offences Department. That would have been really tough. Yes, uh, I think so. It's more than 20 years that I've spent in the child abuse and sexual offence unit. And it was a really tough going period during that time that I served in the Fiji Police Force. Uh, throughout my career, I think so, I spent a lot of time dealing with the issues of uh, children who had been abused and also women. And not only that, there were small boys too and men who had been abused. Uh, by the perpetrators who were in the same environment as uh, the survivors or the victims lived. Mm. And this issue is not getting any better. It's getting worse and worse, unfortunately. And so there's a lot of work to be done. But can you maybe just share one or two stories of some of the cases that you had to deal with? Uh, there was uh, one of the cases that I dealt with which was really sad. And uh, this is in regards to, uh, I wouldn't mention names or the school. Yes, uh, this is a girl, a nine-year-old girl. It was early in the morning of that uh, school day, uh, around about uh, half past seven in the morning, that the brother of this uh, little girl took uh, her to the school. The school was uh, empty and uh, the teachers hadn't arrived that morning. And on her way to the classroom that morning, the teacher, one of the caretakers, uh, opened the, the classroom and uh, she went inside the classroom that day without the teachers uh, present because you know, it was just about seven o'clock in the morning. So she walked in, she left her bag, and then she decided to go to the cloakroom that morning. But on her way to school that morning, this guy, there was a guy that was standing at the gate that morning that happened to see this little girl walking into her classroom. And then he decided to follow this girl because the compound was really empty that morning. So when this girl walked into the cloakroom, that is when this guy took advantage of the girl. He followed this small girl to the cloakroom. She was coming out of the cloakroom when suddenly this guy happened to step in the cloakroom, pushed her right, right to the last uh, cloakroom, uh, restroom, and uh, this is what he did. He raped this girl inside that uh, toilet, the last toilet. She, I mean, he raped her. And then, uh, you know, um, when, uh, when this guy raped her, he just left this little girl inside the cloakroom. And then he shut the door. He locked it from inside. And he went through the small, there's a small opening, small window that is, you know, in a municipal toilet, especially in this classroom, that are small windows. He jumped through the window and he left this girl inside that cloakroom. 
It was about uh, half past two in the afternoon when the school kids were moving around in the corridors and they were about to go to their spots. When the two of the girls ran inside the cloakroom, then before leaving the cloakroom, one of them said, I can hear somebody in the last toilet. And then the other one said, no, 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 no. The other one said, no, I can hear somebody in the last toilet because she was crying. She was lying on the, on the cement, the pavement. So both of them ran to the teachers and told the teacher, teacher, there's somebody in the last cloakroom, like she's crying or she's hurting herself or something is happening in the last one. Then the teacher came. They tried to open the door. They could not open the door. Then they asked the caretaker of the school if he could come and open the door. The caretaker came and, uh, you know, they had to use the pinch bar and all those tools to get the lock to break the lock and when they they opened the door the girl had been lying on the pavement the teacher could not recognize her because all her face was swollen what this uh, guy did was that he raped this girl standing up and uh, she tried to grasp anything to hold on her fingers all her fingers was just like you know the rats biting something and uh, on her fingers so the teacher couldn't even recognize her face because she was rubbing her face on the cement when he was raping this uh, young child. And um, they took her to the hospital. I came to the hospital and even I couldn't identify her because of the face. It was so, you know, that she had received a lot of injuries on that day. After three months, I kept on going. She was being discharged from the hospital after three months. So I kept on going to her, to the house every day with the mother. She could not respond to the mother. She could not talk. She, she didn't even know her name. So when I went home, then I just kept on saying, this is Auntie Lini. I did not identify myself as a police officer. This is Auntie Lini. I'm going to be your friend from now on. Then after six months, six months, I told the mother, if at any time she recalls, remembers anything, you call me. She could not write. She could not recall her name. She could not even recall her class where she was schooling. Then one day I was in the office. The mother, I had a phone call from the mother. Then she said, uh, I know she can recall something. She has drawn something on the, uh, a piece of paper. I said, I would like to see her. She came to the office and I said, you know, this is Auntie Lini. I usually visit you. Yes, yes, Auntie Lini. Then she handed me that piece of paper. She had the drawings of all the, the toilets, uh, the entrance, and at the very last, uh, the very last uh, toilet, she drew what had happened to her. She drew herself. She was standing uh, beside the door, and uh, she drew that person standing be behind her. So she had been raped standing up. And I said, and who is this? When I said, who is this? She could not say anything at all. She was just crying and just crying and just crying. So I told the mother, you know, we need to let go of her. Just let her be herself. We do not have to investigate or ask anything from her. So it took another about three months, maybe it's nine months. It took another three months for, for her to relay all everything that happened on the day. Uh, but I had to seek the, the approval from the medical. If she was okay, 
to be for her to release her story. What of her, of the incident that happened? When the doctor, the, I think so it was a psychology. Yes, when she said it was okay, that is when the time then I had to tell her. But ask her, but she, I did not ask her. I just gave her the picture, and then she gave me the answers from the picture. She kept on pointing, and she's kept on saying, "This is this, this is this." She kept on pointing everything on the picture that was in front of us. I did not even, and I did not even when I was gathering the information. At no time did I say that I was a police officer. Right to the very end, and I knew that when she had, she went home again, and I told her mother, just let it be. She will recall, and then when she comes to everything, then I will tell her that I'm a police officer. And maybe it took another three months. I think so. It was one whole year. Took her to regain everything. And when she came back, I went back to her home. I kept on going home. Maybe two times or three times in a week, I kept on visiting her. Kept on saying, "This is Auntie Lini. This is Auntie Lini." Just going back to her and take that confidence and bring that confidence with us, the trust, so that she can give out all. Did you capture the perpetrator? Yes. Uh, just uh, maybe after two or three days, we captured the perpetrator. How we captured him is that his necklace was lying inside that uh, cloakroom, and on that day, two of the school high school students they went past. They went past that uh, corridor. They saw this guy. He was standing right over there, wearing that similar chain. So when everybody, the police officers were going around asking information from the students, these two school student boys, uh, they came out and said. Yes, we saw that guy. We know him, but he was wearing—he uh, was wearing a, a silver chain. From there, the police officers took action because they knew him. Those two boys knew him. Well, that's uh, at least a little bit of good news. But that's a horrific story. And 20 years in the police force, dealing with those stories. Um, how did you cope? Um, yeah. I cannot see how did I cope. It was good. Um, uh, to me, most of the time when when I receive victims, you know, I just put myself into their shoes. I just, I just felt like it was they were part of me that really hurt dealing with those issues. And um, when I reach home, I cannot sleep. I. I Honestly, I could not sleep properly. There was a time when I had to go to the doctor because it was one whole night that I was just staring in midair, and I and I told the doctor, "I'm not sick, I'm fine, but it's just that I cannot sleep. All of last night till this morning, I just cannot sleep. I think so. It was this. I I don't know. I told the doctor because I'm just handling issues of victims and survivors of child abuse." And domestic and all these issues, I don't know. But I'm I just cannot sleep. It took me one whole night, one whole day, maybe it's two nights or three nights. And I went to see the doctor. Maybe psychological, it really affected myself. But I could not stand it for all these survivors and victims going through all these issues of uh, human trafficking, of uh, violence against them, you know, domestic violence and uh, child abuse and even uh, pornography. 
uh, I've come across it. I've had issues with uh, uh, children as young as nine years old of uh, human trafficking and uh, pornography. That happens right within the family homes. Yes. The, those, uh, the parents even sold them within Fiji. That is within Fiji. The parents sold their own kids. Why? What, what would possess a parent to want to do that? Uh, this happened. This happened. Uh, there was a child. We brought her in because she had been abused, just abused. But within that story, she mentioned about that she had been human trafficking from uh, the Western Division uh, to the center, central of Suva. Uh, she said that my mom, she usually takes me to the hotel. She makes the arrangements. She takes me to the hotel. This guy comes along takes her to the room. The mom waits in the, in the hotel lounge. When it's done, the man comes again, hands mom the money and goes. She's back to square one. So is that poverty driven, do you think? Or just um, what, what drives a mother to sell her own daughter? I'm, I think so. It's poverty. Maybe she's facing uh, poverty or maybe it's a family uh, breakup within a marriage uh, but she did not tell me that part. She just told me about what happened to her. I, I think so that maybe those are the, some of the causes that might have happened. It's through poverty because the mother really wanted the money at that time because of marriage breakup. Maybe the father was not there at that time. But I did not go really deep into that because, in it, she, because we were dealing with another case at that time. Mm. Oh, it's hard to fathom, isn't it? Um, I think statistics are I've heard the Fiji Women's Crisis Centre um, say that two out of three women are raped and every month the Department of Public Prosecutions releases new statistics of um, the rape cases and it's it's crazy to think the amount of old old men raping granddaughters or teenagers raping teenagers um, why is this so prevalent in Fiji? I mean, the statistics are even higher than Australia. So why is this such a big issue in such a small and beautiful nation? Uh, I think so, because it happens within the home environment. And maybe 90% of it happens within the home environment. Uh, it's because, you know, while growing up, uh, I'll take, for example, a grandfather. While that child has been groomed and growing up in the family, the grandfather's tend. Uh, tends to take a glimpse of the child. You know, she's been groomed up by the parents. But then the motive of the the grandfather is totally different. Seeing that this child is growing up, she's beautiful. And th that is what I think. That it happens within the home environment. And most of the, most of the perpetrators are their real relatives. As I've mentioned, it's 90%. Uh, definitely it's 90% of the offences that happens within the home environment. And uh, that must, must have been one because as the child grows up, she is almost half of the time she's with the grandfather. Because maybe the parents are out all the time. They are working, they have a lot of commitment, and the grandfather stays a lot, a lot of time with her, spends a lot of time, quality time, with the granddaughter and the parents are not around to spend that quality time with their children. Maybe that's probably one of the things that has arisen for the increase of this uh, uh, child abuse. 
uh, even women, uh, violence against them and uh, human trafficking, pornography. We cannot uh, rule that out, that pornography is not here in Fiji, but it is happening here in Fiji. Uh, there's a lot of issues coming up, but uh, I think so we have to change the laws of Fiji because we need to insert that uh, in regards to pornography that is happening here in Fiji. Maybe we can change the system or we can change the legislation what the, it's uh, in the the laws of Fiji. Maybe we can change something. It's about time to change it. I mean, part of, I've heard again, horrific statistics that, you know, not many rapists are caught or charged, you know. Um, what percentage do you think would go to prison here in Fiji? Uh, probably would be 50%. 45 to 50% go to, go to prison uh, in Fiji. It's just because you know the system or the judiciary system here in Fiji, it takes a long, it takes uh, such a long time for them to deal with such an issue. Um, I would suggest that as soon as uh, these cases happen or these issues happen, the judiciary should uh, shorten the length of the court system. Hmm? But you know, it takes even if a case, if I deal with a case, it will take about two to three years, and then the suspect would go inside. He would be floating around committing other offences of uh, pornography, human trafficking or child abuse or violence against women. He will continue during that during that time he's out. He's just roaming around committing other offences. So as soon as possible, or as soon as practicable, that suspect, as soon as, because you know, most of the suspects or most of the perpetrators are well known to the relatives, are well known to the victims. So as soon as they know that this has happened, they should arrest him. Now, um, just secondly, uh, you've retired from the police force and um, after working 20 years in that department, I think you deserve to go sit on a beach um, for the rest of your life and drink coconuts. But you um, are still fighting the fight and you're part of a, an amazing organisation called Breaking the Silence. Um, so just tell us a bit about Breaking the Silence and what you do there. Uh, yes, uh, this Breaking the Silence... Uh, uh, it's a non-government organization. It uh, started way back in uh, 2013, if, I, if my memory is still fresh, 2013 that uh, there was a conference that was held in the, the National, National Dome, National Gymnasium here in Fiji. Um, that, uh, that conference was called the I Am My Sister's Keeper. And from there, uh, the president now of the Breaking the Silence was been formed because of these issues of violence against women, of child abuse and uh, human trafficking. That is where the Breaking the Silence had become so that we could address and have the awareness and have counselling for the victims and the survivors who are out there. Most of them, they don't want to come out with the issues that they have. So we need to go out there and tell them, you know, it's about time, you need to break that silence, you cannot keep it within you for those long years. You need to come out of that nutshell, you need to come out of that and break the silence. Uh, you need not be ashamed because it's not you. You, you, you did not commit anything, uh, you did not commit the offence, but it is the perpetrators that had committed the offence against you. So. The, that is why I had joined in the breaking the silence. You know, we need to continue with it. 
even though I'm retired from the police force. But, you know, I have that passion for the victims who, and the survivors of abuses, human trafficking, pornography, child abuse, and uh, all abuses against women. Um, I'm just have, I just have that passion, just have that passion to continue the work. So you um, go into communities and do awareness, but you also take police there so that women can report on the spot, is that correct? Uh, yes, uh, going out into the communities, I take the, the numbers for the police force and also other organisations that are part of, the, of this um, awareness, I mean of the, the uh, violence against women, like the social welfare, the Ministry of Education, if they come with uh, offence, I mean if, if someone has been, has been, uh, has been uh, violated or has been somebody has been treated uh, with these kinds of issues or faced with these kinds kinds of issue you know they need not sit back and just take everything within them uh, the helpline is them for the children young children and also for the police force and um, ministry of health which we have, the education department, and there's a lot of uh, other government departments that we usually go and uh, this is their contact. We tell the awareness group, this is their contact, you can contact them, or even churches. You can seek counselling from the pastor's wife or the pastors, if you know that you are confident to go to the pastors, but I always tell them, you know what, you, the, the wives must be present if you want to seek counselling from the pastors. The wife must be present. Mm. No, that's amazing work and uh, if people want to know more about Breaking the Silence you can contact me and I'll put you in touch with them. Uh, there's great groups all around but thank you for that insight Linny today and for all the work that you've done and will continue to do and we just pray that um, together we can see the tide turn. So thank you for tuning in today and we'll look forward to being again with you next week. God bless. Suffering, I see the pain beneath that bull of smile. Come out from hiding, the sun is rising. Let the islands hear reason lay ground.